Section 11 of Hard Times by Charles Dickens, Book 2, Chapters 4 and 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 4 Men and Brothers. Oh, my friends! the downtrodden operatives of Coketown. Oh, my friends and fellow countrymen, the slaves of an iron-handed and a grinding despotism. Oh, my friends and fellow sufferers and fellow workmen and fellow men, I tell you that the hour is come when we must rally round one another as one united power and crumble into dust the oppressors that too long have battened upon the plunder of our families upon the sweat of our brows upon the labor of our hands upon the strength of our sinews upon the god-created glorious rights of humanity and upon the holy and eternal privileges of brotherhood good hear 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 hurrah and other cries arose in many voices from various parts of the densely crowded and suffocating close hall in which the orator perched on a stage delivered himself of this and what other froth and fume he had in him he had declaimed himself into a violent heat and was as hoarse as he was hot by dint of roaring at the top of his voice under a flaring gaslight, clenching his fists, knitting his brows, setting his teeth, and pounding with his arms. He had taken so much out of himself by this time that he was brought to a stop and called for a glass of water. As he stood there, trying to quench his fiery face with his drink of water, the comparison between the orator and the crowd of attentive faces turned towards him was extremely to his disadvantage. Judging him by nature's evidence, he was above the mass in very little but the stage on which he stood. In many great respects he was essentially below them. He was not so honest, he was not so manly, he was not so good-humoured. He substituted cunning for their simplicity, and passion for their safe, solid sense. An ill-made, high-shouldered man with lowering brows, and his features crushed into a habitually sour expression, he contrasted most unfavourably, even in his mongrel dress, with the great body of his hearers in their plain working clothes. Strange as it always is to consider any assembly in the act of submissively resigning itself to the dreariness of some complacent person, lord or commoner, whom three-fourths of it could, by no human means, raise out of the slough of inanity to their own intellectual level, it was particularly strange, and it was even particularly affecting to see this crowd of earnest faces whose honesty in the main no competent observer, free from bias, could doubt so agitated by such a leader. 
good hear hear hurrah the eagerness both of attention and intention exhibited in all the countenances made them a most impressive sight there was no carelessness no languor no idle curiosity none of the many shades of indifference to be seen in all other assemblies visible for one moment there that every man felt his condition to be somehow or other worse than it might be that every man considered it incumbent on him to join the rest towards the making of it better that every man felt his only hope to be in his allying himself to the comrades by whom he was surrounded and that in this belief right or wrong unhappily wrong then the whole of that crowd were gravely deeply faithfully and earnest must have been plain to any one who chose to see what was there as the bare beams of the roof and the whitened brick walls nor could any such spectator fail to know in his own breast that these men through their very delusions showed great qualities susceptible of being turned to the happiest and best account and that to pretend on the strength of sweeping axioms howsoever cut and dried that they were astray wholly without cause and of their own irrational wills was to pretend that there could be smoke without fire death without birth harvest without seed anything or everything produced from nothing the orator having refreshed himself wiped his corrugated forehead from left to right several times with his handkerchief folded into a pad and concentrated all his revived forces in a sneer of great disdain and bitterness but o oh, my friends and brothers o oh, men of and englishmen the downtrodden operatives of coketown what shall we say of that man that working man that i should find it necessary to so libel the glorious name who being practically and well acquainted with the grievances and wrongs of you the injured pith and marrow of this land and having heard you with a noble and majestic unanimity that will make tyrants tremble resolve for to subscribe to the funds of the united aggregate tribunal and to abide by the injunctions issued by that body for your benefit whatever they may be what i ask you will you say that of working man since such i must acknowledge him to be who at such time deserts his post and sells his flag who at such a time turns a traitor and a craven and a recreant who at such a time is not ashamed to make to you the dastardly and humiliating avowal that he will hold himself aloof and will not be one of those associated in the gallant stand for freedom and for right the assembly was divided at this point there were some groans and hisses but the general sense of honour was much too strong for the condemnation of a man unheard be sure you're right slackbridge put him up 
let's hear him such things were said on many sides finally one strong voice called out is the man here if the man's here slackbridge let the man himself steady you which was received with a round of applause slackbridge the orator looked about him with a withering smile and holding out his right hand at arm's length as the manner of all slackbridges is to still the thundering sea waited until there was a profound silence oh my friends and fellow-men said slackbridge then shaking his head with violent scorn i do not wonder that you the prostrate sons of labor are incredulous of the existence of such a man but he who sold his birthright for a mess of pottage existed and judas iscariot existed and castlereagh existed and this man exists here a brief press and confusion near the stage ended in the man himself standing at the orator's side before the concourse he was pale and a little moved in the face his lips especially showed it but he stood quiet with his left hand at his chin waiting to be heard there was a chairman to regulate the proceedings and this functionary now took the case into his own hands my friends he said by virtue of my office as your president i ask as all your friend slackbridge who may be a little over in this business to take his seat whilst this man stephen blackpool is hern you all know this man stephen blackpool you know him along uh, all his misfortunes and his good name with that the chairman took him frankly by the hand and sat down again slackbridge likewise sat down wiping his hot forehead always from left to right and never the reverse way my friends stephen began in the midst of a dead calm i heard what uh, been spoken to me and tis likely that i shan't mend it but i'd like for you to hear in the truth concerning my son from my lips uh, than from any other man's though i never could speak afore so many without being uh, murdered and muddled slackbridge shook his head as if he would shake it off in his bitterness i am the one single hand in bounderby's mill o oh, all the men there as don't come don't come in wi me the proposed regulations i canna come in wi em my friends i doubt they're doing you any good liquor they'll do you hurt slackbridge laughed folded his arms and frowned sarcastically but tain't so much for that as i stands out if there were all i'd come in with the rest but i have my reasons mine you see for for being hindered uh, not only now but allus always life long slackbridge jumped up and stood beside him gnashing and tearing oh my friends what but this did i tell you oh, my fellow countrymen what warning but this did i give you and how shows this recreant conduct in a man on whom unequal laws are known to have fallen heavy 
oh you englishmen i ask you how does this subordination show in one of yourselves who is thus consenting to his own undoing and to yours and to your children's and your children's children's there was some applause and some crying of shame upon the man but the greater part of the audience were quiet they looked at stephen's worn face rendered more pathetic by the homely emotions it evinced and in the kindness of their nature they were more sorry than indignant tis this delegate's trade for to speak said stephen and he's paid for it and he knows his work let him keep to it let him give no heed to what i had hadn't to bear that's not for him that's not for nobody but me there was propriety not to say a dignity in these words that made the hearers yet more quiet and attentive the same strong voice called out slackbridge let the man be hearn and howd thee tongue then the place was wonderfully still my brother said stephen whose low voice was distinctly heard and my fellow workman for that ye are to me though not as i knows on to this delegate here i have been i have but put a word to sin and i could send no more if i was to speak till strike a day i know weel all what's afore me i know weel that you are all resolved to have no more ado we a man who is not we in this matter i know weel that if i was a lion partish i i the road you'd feel it right to pass me by as a foreigner or stranger what i ha getten i mun make the best on stephen blackpool said the chairman rising think on it again think on it once again lad afore thou shunned by odd old friends there was a universal murmur to the same effect though no man articulated a word every eye was fixed on stephen's face to repent of his determination would be to take a load from all their minds he looked around him and knew that it was so not a grain of anger with them was in his heart he knew them far below their surface weaknesses and misconceptions as no one but their fellow labourer could i have thought on it above a bit sir i simply cannot come in i mun go the the way as lays afore me i mun take my leave of our here he made a sort of reverence to them by holding up his arms and stood for the moment in that attitude not speaking until they slowly dropped at his sides many's the pleasant word as soom here has spoken wi me many's the face i see here as i first seen when i were young and lighter heart than now i had never had to fratch afore sin ever i were born where any o my my like gone now's i have none now that's o my makin you all call me traitor and that yeah, i mean to say addressing slackbridge but tis easier to call than make out so let be 
he had moved away a pace or two to come down from the platform when he remembered something that he had not said and returned again haply he said turning his pharaoh face slowly about that he might as it were individually address the whole audience those both near and distant haply when this question has been taken up and discussed there'll be a a threat to turn out if i'm let to work among you i hope i shall die ere ever such a time comes and i shall work solitary among you unless it comes truly i mun do it my friends not to brave you but to live i had no but work to live by and wherever can i go i who had worked sin i were no high ah uh, in a coke town here i make no complaints of being turned to the wall or being outcastin' or overlookin' for the this time forward but i hope i shall be let to work if there is any right for me at all my friends i think tis that not a word was spoken not a sound was audible in the building but the slight rustle of men moving a little apart all along the centre of the room to open a means of passing out to the man with whom they had all bound themselves to renounce companionship looking at no one and going his way with a lowly steadiness upon him that asserted nothing and sought nothing old stephen with all his troubles on his head left the scene then slackbridge who had kept his oratorical arm extended during the going out as if he were repressing with infinite solicitude and by a wonderful moral power the vehement passions of the multitude applied himself to raising their spirits had not the roman brutus o oh, my british countrymen condemned his son to death and had not the spartan mothers oh my soon-to-be victorious friends driven their flying children on the points of their enemies swords then was it not the sacred duty of the men of coketown with forefathers before them an admiring world and company with them and a posterity to come after them to hurl out traitors from the tents they had pitched in a sacred and godlike cause the winds of heaven answered yes and bore yes east west north and south and consequently three cheers for the united aggregate tribunal slackbridge acted as a fugelman and gave the time the multitude of doubtful faces a little conscience-stricken brightened at the sound and took it up private feeling must yield to the common cause hurrah the roof yet vibrated with the cheering when the assembly dispersed thus easily did stephen blackpool fall into the loneliest of lives the life of solitude among a familiar crowd the stranger in the land who looks into ten thousand faces for some answering look and never finds it is in cheering society as compared with him who passes ten averted faces daily that were once the countenances of friends 
such experience was to be stephen's now in every waking moment of his life at his work on his way to it and from it at his door at his window everywhere by general consent they even avoided that side of the street on which he habitually walked and left it of all the working men to him only he had been for many years a quiet silent man associating but little with other men and used to companionship with his own thoughts he had never known before the strength of the want in his heart for the frequent recognition of a nod a look a word or the immense amount of relief that had been poured into it by drops through such small means it was even harder than he could have believed possible to separate in his own conscience his abandonment by all his fellows from a hapless sense of shame and disgrace the first four days of his endurance were days so long and heavy that he began to be appalled by the prospect before him not only did he see no rachel all the time but he avoided every chance of seeing her for although he knew that the prohibition did not yet formally extend to the women working in the factories he found that some of them with whom he was acquainted were changed to him and he feared to try others and dreaded that rachel might be even singled out from the rest if she were seen in his company so he had been quite alone during the four days and had spoken to no one when as he was leaving his work at night a young man of a very light complexion accosted him in the street your name's blackpool ain't it said the young man stephen colored to find himself with his hat in his hand and his gratitude for being spoken to or in the suddenness of it or both he made a feint of adjusting the lining and said yes you are the end that they have sent to coventry i mean said bitzer the very light young man in question stephen answered yes again i suppose so from their all appearing to keep away from you mr bounderby wants to speak to you you know his house don't you stephen said yes again then go straight up there will you said bitzer you're expected and have only to tell the servant it's you i belong to the bank so if you go straight up without me uh, i was sent to fetch you you'll save me a walk stephen whose way had been in the contrary direction turned about and betook himself as in duty bound to the red brick castle of the giant bounderby end of chapter four chapter five men and masters well stephen said bounderby in his windy manner what's this i hear what have these pests of the earth been doing to you come in speak up it was into the drawing-room that he was bidden a tea-table was set out and mr bounderby's young wife and her brother and a great gentleman from london were present to whom stephen made his obeisance closing the door and standing near it with his hat in his hand uh, this is the man i was telling you about harthouse said mr bounderby the gentleman he dressed who was uh, talking to mrs bounderby on the sofa got up saying in an indolent way oh really 
and dawdled to the hearth-rug where Mr. Bounderby stood. "'Now,' said Bounderby, "'speak up!' After four days he had passed, this address fell rudely and discordantly on Stephen's ear. Besides being a rough handling of his wounded mind, it seemed to assume that he really was the self-interested deserter he had been called. "'What were it, sir?' said Stephen, "'as you were pleased to want we me. Well, "'I have told you,' returned Bounderby. "'Speak up like a man, since you are a man, "'and tell us about yourself in this uh, combination.' "'We are pardoned, sir,' said Stephen Blackpool. "'I had naught to send about it.' Mr. Bounderby, who was always more or less like a wind, finding something in his way here, began to blow at it directly. "'Now look here, Harthouse,' said he. "'Here's a specimen of them. "'When this man was here once before, "'I warned this man against the mischievous strangers "'who were always about, "'and ought to be hanged wherever they are found, "'and I told this man that he was going in the wrong direction. "'Now would you believe it?' that although they have put this mark upon him, he is such a slave to them still that he's afraid to open his lips about them. I said as I had naught to say, sir, not as I was feared to open my lips. You said, ah, I know what you said more than that. I know what you mean, you see. Not always the same thing by the Lord Harry, quite different things. You had better tell us at once that that fellow Slackbridge is not in the town, stirring up the people to mutiny, and that he is not a regular, qualified leader of the people, that is a most confounded scoundrel. You had better tell us so at once. You, you can't deceive me. You want to tell us so. Why don't you? Oh, I'm as sorry as you, sir, when the people's leader is as bad, said Stephen, shaking his head. They take such as offers. Happily, tis not the smartest of their misfortunes when they can get no better. The wind began to get boisterous. Now you'll think this pretty well, Harthouse, said Bounderby. You'll think this tolerably strong, you'll say upon my soul. This is a tidy specimen of what my friends have to deal with, but this is nothing, sir. You shall hear me ask this man a question. Pray, Mr. Blackpool, wind springing up very fast, may I take the liberty of asking you how it happens that you refuse to be in this combination? How it happens? Ah, said Mr. Bounderby, with his thumbs in his arms of his coat, and jerking his head and shutting his eyes in confidence with the opposite wall. How it happens! I'd liefer not come to it, sir, but sin you put the question, and not wantin' to be of ill manner, and I'll answer. I have passed a promise. Not to me, you know, said Bounderby. Gusty weather with deceitful calms, one now prevailing. Oh, no, sir, not to you. As for me, any consideration for me has had just nothing at all to do with it, said Bounderby, still in confidence with the wall. If only Josiah Bounderby of Coketown had been in question, you would have joined and made no bones about it. Why, yes, sir, tis true. 
though he knows said mr bounderby now blowing a gale that these are a set of rascals and rebels whom transportation is too good for now mr harthouse you have been knocking about in the world some time did you ever meet with anything like that man out of this blessed country and mr bounderby pointed him out for inspection with an angry finger nay ma'am said stephen blackpool staunchly protesting against the words that had been used and instinctively addressing himself to louisa after glancing at her face not rebels not yet rascals not of the kind ma'am not of the kind they've not done me a kindness ma'am as i know and feel but there are not a dozen men among em ma'am a dozen not six but what believes as he has done his duty by the rest and by himself god forbid as i that he had known and had experience o these men all my life i that hat and uh, drunken we em and sittin we em and toilin we em and lovin em and should fail fur to stand by em with the truth let em have done to me what they may he spoke with the rugged earnestness of his place and character deepened perhaps by a proud consciousness that he was faithful to his class under all their mistrust but he fully remembered where he was and did not even raise his voice no ma'am no they're true to one another faithful to one another affectionate to one another e'en to death be poor among em be sick among em grieve among em for only o oh, the money causes that carries grief to a poor man's door and they'll be tender wi ye gentle wi ye comfortable wi ye christian wi ye be sure o that ma'am they'd be riven to bits ere ever they'd be different in short said bounderby it's because they are so full of virtues that they have turned you adrift go through with it while you are about it out with it how oh, tis ma'am resumed stephen appearing still to find his natural refuge in louisa's face that what is best in us folk seems to turn us most to trouble and misfortune and mistake i don't know but tis so i know tis and i know as i know the heavens is over me i hint the smoke we're patient too and once in general to do right and i canna think the fault is all we us now my friend said bounderby whom he could not have exasperated more quite unconscious of it though he was than by seeming to appeal to any one else if you will favour me with your attention for half a minute i should like to have a word or two with you you said just now that you had nothing to tell us about this business you are quite sure of that before we go any further sir i am sure on't here's a gentleman from london present mr bounderby made a backhanded point at mr james harthouse with his thumb a parliament gentleman i should like him to hear a short bit of dialogue between you and me instead of taking the substance of it for i know precious well beforehand what it will be nobody knows better than i do take notice instead of receiving it on trust from my mouth 
Stephen bent his head to the gentleman from London, and showed a rather more troubled mind than usual. He turned his eyes involuntarily to his former refuge, but, at a look from that quarter, expressive though instantaneous, he settled them on Mr. Bounderby's face. "'Now, what do you complain of?' asked Mr. Bounderby. "'I had not come here, sir,' Stephen reminded him. "'To complain, I come for that I were sent for.' "'What?' repeated Mr. Bounderby, folding his arms. "'Do you people, in general way, complain of?' Stephen looked at him with some little irresolution for a moment, and then seemed to make up his mind. "'Sir, I were never good at showing aught, though I had, I had my share of feeling aught. Deed, we are in a muddle, sir. Look round town, so rich as tis, and see the numbers of people as have been broughten in to be in here, for to weave, and to card, and to piece out a livin'. All the same one way, somehows, twixt their cradles and their graves. Look how we live, and where we live, and in what numbers, and by what chances, and we what sameness, and look how the mills is always a-goin', and how they never works us no nigher to any distant object, except in always death. Look how you considers of us, and writes of us, and talks of us, and goes up we are deputations to secretaries o' the state about us, and how you're always right, and how we are all as wrong, and never had no reason in us since ever we were born. Look how this had growin and goin, sir, bigger and bigger, broader and broader, harder and harder, for year to year, from generation unto generation. Who can look on it, sir, and fairly tell a man, "'Tis not a muddle.' "'Of course,' said Mr. Bounderby. "'Now perhaps you'll let the gentleman know "'how you would set this muddle, "'as you're so fond of calling it, to rights.' "'I don't know, sir. "'I cannot be expectin' to it. "'Tis not me as should be lookin' to for that, sir. "'Tis them as put o'er me and o'er all the rest of us. "'What do they take upon themselves, sir, if not to do it? "'I'll tell you something towards it at any rate,' returned Mr. Bounderby. "'We'll make an example of half a dozen slack bridges. "'We'll indict the blackguards for felony and get them shipped off to penal settlements.' "'Stephen gravely shook his head. "'Don't tell me we won't, man,' said Mr. Bounderby, by this time blowing a hurricane. "'Because we will, I tell you.' "'Sir,' returned Stephen, with the quiet confidence of absolute certainty, if you was to take a hundred stock-bridges, and as there is, and all the number ten times two, and was to sow em in separate sacks, and sink em in the deepest ocean as were made ever dry land come to be, you'd leave the muddle just where it is. Mischievous strangers, said Stephen with an anxious smile, when how we not hearn i am sure sin ever we can call to mind o oh, the mischievous strangers tis not by them the trouble's made sir tis not we them to commences i had no favour for em i had no reason to favour em 
but tis hopeless and useless to dream of taking them for their trade instead of taking their trade from them ah that's about me in this room we're here afore i come and will be here when i am gone put that clock aboard a ship and pack it off to norfolk island and the time will go on just the same so tis we slackbridge every bit reverting for a moment to his former refuge he observed a cautionary movement of her eyes towards the door stepping back he put his hand upon the lock but he had not spoken out of his own will and desire and he felt in his heart a noble return for his late injurious treatment to be faithful to the last to those who had repudiated him he stayed to finish what was in his mind sir i can away my little learning and my common way tell the gentleman what will better all this though some working men o this town could above my powers but i can tell him what i know will never do it the strong hand will never do it victory and triumph will never do it agreeing for to make one side unnaturally always and for ever right and to other side unnaturally always and for ever wrong will never never do it nor yet letting alone will never do it let thousands upon thousands alone all leading the like lives and fawn into the like muddle and they will be as one and you will be as another we a black unpassable world betwixt you just as long or short a time as such like misery can last not drawing nigh to folk with kindness and patience and cheery ways that so draws nigh one another in their money troubles and so cherishes one another in their distresses with what they need themselves like i humbly believe as no people the gentleman has seen in all his travels can beat will never do it till the sun turns to ice most of all ratin em as so much power and regulatin em as if they was figures in a in a sum or machines without loves and likens without memories and inclinations without souls to weary and souls to hope when all goes quiet dragging on we em as if they are not of the kind and when all goes unquiet reproachin em for their want of such humanly feelings in their dealings with you this will never do it sir till god's work is unmade stephen stood with the open door in his hand waiting to know if anything more were expected of him just stop a moment said mr bounderby excessively red in the face i told you the last time you were here with a grievance that you had better turn about and come out of that and i also told you if you remember that i was up to the gold spoon lookout i were not up to myself sir i do assure you now it's clear to me said mr bounderby that you are one of those chaps who have always got a grievance you go about sowing it and raising crops that's the business of your life my friend stephen shook his head mutely protesting that indeed he had other business to do for his life 
you are such a waspish raspish ill-conditioned chap you see said mr bounderby that even your own union the men who know you best will have nothing to do with you i never thought those fellows could be right in anything but i tell you what i so far go along with them for a novelty that i'll have nothing to do with you either stephen raised his eyes quickly to his face you can finish off what you're at said mr bounderby with a meaning nod and then go elsewhere sir you know weel said stephen expressively that i canna get work with you i canna get it elsewhere the reply was what i know i know and what you know you know i have no more to say about it stephen glanced at louisa again but her eyes were raised to his no more therefore with a sigh and saying barely above his breath heaven help us all in this world he departed end of chapter five